Greetings, everyone. Welcome to this episode of the Hired Geek Podcast, episode number 100 with Brady Colby. Uh, so this is a really great episode uh, to be our 100th episode to cover uh, just digital education at large and the kind of global stage of all the things that are happening. Brady just has incredible insights into this space. So I really appreciate him sharing all that he knows, uh, kind of keeping us uh, connected to the pulse of uh, all the latest in this space with online program managers and bootcamp companies and other digital education providers. So uh, really fascinating stuff. Uh, definitely connect with him and the work that he is doing at 32EDU uh, and uh, really appreciate uh, his time here. So uh, without further ado, after this brief message from our sponsor, this is episode number 100 with Brady Colby. This episode is sponsored by Degree.me, a one-stop college research tool for students. If you work for a college or university, you'll want to learn all about their ability to connect you with the right students at a budget-friendly price. To find out more, please visit Degree.me H-E-G. Super excited to talk with you, uh, just kind of stumbling upon your work uh, on LinkedIn and just kind of excited to learn more about your journey and the work that uh, you're doing here in kind of the OPX uh, space. So yeah, if you want to just kick us off as we always do, just introduce yourself to everyone listening uh, and give a brief overview of your professional journey and how you got to be where you are today. Sure. So my name is Brady Colby. I am the founder and CEO of 32EDU. I've spent basically my entire professional career in higher ed tech. Uh, I had a brief stint at Citibank, but other than that, it's been all uh, in the higher ed tech space. Uh, spent a number of years working for an OPM and and uh, been out doing um, independent research and and uh, insights on my own for, for a little while now. And uh, we also have a, a joint venture with Holland IQ uh, where we um, really do deep dive insights onto the OPM, what we call the OPX space. Right. Um, and I guess you might maybe want to give, uh, cause I know it's even kind of new to me, um, maybe just like a brief definition of that term as you sort of get into kind of my next question here, just sort of explaining a little bit more in depth, the work that you're doing. Cause I think I've definitely seen and heard kind of quite a bit of like where we're at now in kind of digital education and all these uh, companies sort of uh, working with institutions or going kind of their own way with various like boot camps and those sort of things is like, a perceived kind of lack of transparency or just like not as much information, I guess, as people are sort of hungry for right now of like, you know, uh, those sort of things. So I know you're kind of working to address that. So, you know, if you just want to talk a little bit more about, you know, how you kind of came to be uh, doing the work that you're doing now with 32EDU and Hollow Can IQ, and then again, maybe some uh, kind of terminology definitions as well, sure. just to make sure everybody's up to speed. Yeah. So uh, whatever we say, so historically the OPM, the online program manager market, uh, it's been kind of, strictly defined in one way where uh, one of these organizations like to use the best known will come in and have this this long relationship where it's a revenue share uh, agreement and they take on a pretty comprehensive bundle of services for the university uh, but one of the things that's happened over the past 10 years is universities have started doing online programs with support in a lot more of a piecemeal fashion where they'll say you know, hey, we need some help with digital marketing, but we're really okay with the rest of it. So they will engage a partner that will just do that part. And, and then they'll say, you know, hey, we need some help with the instructional design and the, the course scaffolding. And so they'll just get help for that, but they'll they'll handle the rest of it. Um, so the OPM term kind of was understood to be a little bit more strictly defined than is the reality in the market anymore. So 
the uh, the the new kind of phraseology would be OPX that we we tend to adopt. That you know it, it speaks to um, this industry where things have kind of become really unbundled, and you know in one instance. Uh, one service might be provided, but in another instance, it's another service. But it's really delivering the same uh, ultimate deliverable of an online an online program. Um, so that, that's that's kind of the the term definition there. Uh, but how I got into it, I mentioned before that I worked for an OPM, um, and one of the biggest things that we encountered, like you mentioned, was a real lack of transparency in the market, and a lot of that is because this is really dominated by private companies uh, to use really the only public company. Um, there's a couple other smaller ones that are owned by some public companies, obviously Wiley and Pearson. Uh, but outside of that, we get into a whole bunch of companies that are, that are smaller startup type companies that, that are private and that don't really have any obligation to share any information. And then mm. accordingly, they don't share any information. Um, and that is compounded by the, the issues and the the lack of comprehensiveness of the iPads data that that all the schools report every year. So there was a real need and a real opportunity to say, okay, what's happening in this market? And uh, that was kind of the the birth of my company. And it began with aggregating data on who's working with who and and what are they doing because that's the really big question. What what are these companies doing together? And so we came up with some unique methodologies that allowed us to really get comprehensive data on that that we haven't really had access to before. So, uh, yeah, it started off as trying to address that specific question of nobody really knows or historically has known who was active in this space, what were they doing, uh, who are they working with. And so we developed some methodologies to, to be able to answer those questions using website metadata and, and some other some other deep dive internet search tools that that we've we've developed that have been really fruitful for us gotcha yeah because I was wondering yeah if it was uh, limited to just sort of like what these companies and you know organizations choose to announce you know because obviously like there is I think an incentive or a pull to do that to be like hey look at us we just have like a new partnership but yeah they're under absolutely no obligation to you know make any sort of announcement and even then it might not have all the information that you know, uh, you might be looking for to kind of really give kind of, you know, sophisticated uh, kind of, um, you know, sort of business intelligence for uh, folks to take a look at. So that's exactly uh, right. Yeah. And historically, it was pretty limited to the announcements. And that really misses out on uh, a large part of the industry that doesn't want to announce things because we, we talked about the transparency and we saw this kind of bubble up in 2019 where. Um, a lot of the providers started getting some flack because the way that they would present programs would be sort of trying to minimize their own involvement in it. Um, and so obviously they just wanted to present this as this is the school's program. Uh, we're not involved, whatever, not necessarily directly saying they weren't involved or anything, but just mm -hmm. trying to come in and, and fulfill that service and present it as much from the pro uh, from the university as possible. Uh, and so it, it got really hard to know who was doing what whenever it was a strategic thing to not want prospective students to know that uh, there was somebody else involved in the delivery of the program. Uh, and I had always kind of thought that there was no reason 
to have that approach because I don't think that that has jeopardized the quality of the programs at all. We see a lot of the highest ranked programs, online programs every year are these supported programs. So I, I never really saw uh, a lot of benefit from from kind of keeping that information guarded. So uh, aggregating and, and starting to put out that information has been one of the core things my business does. Yeah. Um, yeah. Having kind of experience in this space as well, it always makes me think of um, kind of like a Wizard of Oz situation of like pay no attention to the man behind the curtain kind of thing. But like, yeah, you know, yeah. Uh, um, <laughs> yeah. So like, yeah, that's kind of like the metaphor. But I think, yeah, it has changed. Cause I know even when I was, you know, I was like working with students who might kind of surmise, you know, eventually and like you would never lie, but you would never sort of like, you know, uh, show your cards just sort of like out of nowhere because you want to yeah like you're kind of saying almost like keep this sort of um, I don't know yeah just kind of like smoke and mirrors of like it is the institution's program which of course it is but like just never make any sort of second guessing because several could you know go through the entire you know students could go through the entirety of the program and then at the end be like oh my gosh I never even knew and it's like that's what we wanted like we wanted to just be so you know seamless and just be you know really good which makes sense to me you know there's there's definitely an allure to that I I don't see any problem with doing that it just made it difficult for market research (laughs) right yeah and I think it I guess maybe it got to sort of its furthest extent of sort of like the lack of transparency and those sort of things so now it's kind of recoiling back so which I think is good um, so, you know, with all this being said on everything that you're kind of plugged into, you know, and you kind of mentioned, obviously there's been, you know, um, you know, and we can dig in a little bit more of like the trends or the changes or whatever, but I guess, yeah, I'll frame the first question this way. I'm just sort of like, what's been catching your eye lately in the digital education space? Certainly a lot has been going on in, you know, the past several months of, uh, all these pivots to online uh, education for institutions. But yeah, I guess with all of that, maybe just what's, what's been catching your eye that you'd want to give sort of a you know, some further emphasis on. Sure. Uh, there's a couple things that I would make note of. One is just the amount of money that's flowing into the space right now. Just a couple of days ago, Emeritus and Eruditus uh, had another $113 million round. And it's just the kind of money that this segment hasn't really seen before. Uh, so there's just tons of money flowing to these sectors. Uh, and then the next thing, I would say is is the internationalization. Just this morning, there was an announcement that Northwestern University was partnering with, uh, it's called Great Learning out of India to do a master's in data science. And so we're starting to see a lot of schools really become aware of these international markets. And we see new providers popping up that are specifically taking these online programs internationally, because typically the OPMs, OPX providers have serviced uh, domestic markets. We saw learning house reports for years that talked about how, you know, half of online students are within 50 miles of the university. And now we see a number of providers that say, well, that was just happening by default. That's just because that's what they were aware of. And so now we see these providers saying, there's another one called Uni Online and saying, hey, we'll take your program to China. Same thing with Beacon Education does. And you know, ones like Great Learning that partner with U.S. universities and take programs to India. Same with Upgrad. So we see a lot of these companies that are saying, you know, you're not limited to that geography. Uh, you're not even limited to a domestic audience. Let's go to the other side of the world even. Uh, so a lot of internationalization taking place, a lot of money coming in for that because there's a lot more potential students. And then uh, I would also point to 
uh, kind of the coming together of the boot camp and the OPM space, the OPX space, mm-hmm. where 2U's got Trilogy, Wiley has, uh, whenever they bought the Learning House, Software Guild came with it, and then they also purchased M3, um, Kaplan and Metis, we've got Zovio and Full Stack Academy. I mean, it just goes on and on to where everybody's starting to realize that these are really complementary services, uh, and it makes a lot of sense. So kind of the, the bringing together of those two industries is kind of at the beginning, but it's it's something that's really noteworthy right now. And it, it gives these providers another another way that they can serve institutions. And actually, now that you mentioned some of those, um, I'm curious your take, because I feel like it, it's similar to some of those, but like, I guess I don't know what maybe like the long-term strategy, like how it makes sense is um, Chegg, when they acquired Thinkful, um, yep. how do you see it? Because I guess like it might just be like, oh, it's a nice to have. Like, you know, yeah, like boot camps are, but like, because I think it, it is for other ones, I guess it makes more sense to me of like, yeah, like an OPM acquires a boot camp uh, company and that's just like, it kind of expands the reach into more institutional partners and those sort of things. But like, I'm not sure how like a book rental company owning a boot camp company, like how that exactly kind of works, I guess. But I guess, yeah, I'm curious your take on that one in particular. I totally agree. And that one's always been kind of an outlier in my mind, too. Um, but then one of the things that kind of started to make it make sense a little bit more was last month they launched their uh, portal for, um, I guess, lead aggregation for online programs for community colleges. Uh, so that kind of started spinning my wheels on where that could all fit together was because now they're kind of fulfilling a digital marketing function for community colleges. And and that's where that can be complimentary in the future. I don't know that that's what their strategy is, but that whenever I saw that, that was the thing that made the most sense uh, with how it could interplay with the boot camp, uh, the thankful boot camp. Otherwise, uh, I kind of thought the same thing that it was, you know, a nice to have and kind of a perspective by and they wanted to have their uh, something that might be a little bit forward looking, but also the other thing that I'm just kind of thinking about now is the ownership of the curriculum and the content where the boot camps own, you know, and they, they bring the, the curriculum to the university. They bring, you know, the teachers in a lot of instances. Uh, and so owning the content and owning the books kind of makes a lot of sense in my head. We see a lot of things popping up now where, we're not really differentiating a textbook from a course anymore. And so uh, I, I can kind of see a long-term future there, but we just haven't really seen anything come together there with them. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely like kind of a wild card of like some like interesting implications and potential, but no idea what way like they'll choose to take it or what actually would work out. But um yeah. I guess yeah, what it also kind of makes me think of like, sort of another trend because I guess Thinkful reminded me of like I think uh, it's Thinkful with um, I'm forgetting the like the matching but like Thinkful and Kenzie both are partnering with like I think it was Western Governors and um, yep. something in New Hampshire and that, that sort of idea of like they those types of like digital education companies have been around for long enough now and proven themselves and it seems as though they're sort of like plugging in to institutions and kind of tethering themselves to those in some way of like a pipeline. And um, cause I think in my head, it, it, over the past couple of years felt like it was just its own 
island of like, yep, there's these like digital education companies and no way connected with any institution, any credential that's like, you know, with a accredited institution. It's like, well, that's fine. That just provides like a different experience for somebody if they're looking for that. But like the fact that they're being like, well, you could actually parlay these into credits towards like another program or whatever, you know, like I just found that very intriguing as just another sort of like, I don't know, like institutions are so deeply rooted and still like, I would say have a lot of brand awareness or a lot of value and those sort of things. Like, I don't know, like it would be like an additional sell to somebody like, oh, okay, yeah, I'm going to go through this boot camp because I would have the option to potentially move forward for further um, credentials and those sort of things. So I, I found yeah, that. Yeah, and that's something that's just now starting to happen also. We saw the the big announcement with 2U and Arcadia where the 2U and Trilogy in conjunction with Arcadia are essentially offering a boot camp this fall that – uh, students anywhere can take and Arcadia is crediting the the program. So it essentially just replaces a semester. And then like you mentioned with Thinkful and, and Kinsey Academy, uh, them saying, or Western Grovener is now saying, okay, we'll accept those programs for credit. Uh, it's been kind of a long time coming, but I think that's the other part where it kind of makes sense with Chegg that um, it's, it's all about um, cheaper, course materials and if you kind of view that more broadly the credits are you know a byproduct of the course so they're just saying you know hey we can get you credits we can help get credits by or we can help decrease costs by you know getting you cheaper resources we can help you get you more credits by uh, a program that you can take to your university whatever it may be so yeah we're we're starting to see more and more of those like lsu started recognizing AWS certificates uh, as as credit for some of their programs mm-hmm. too. So it's been, it's been kind of a long time coming. Yeah. Um, yeah. So interesting yeah, developments there. Um, and I guess if it's, you know, obviously in addition to kind of just what we talked about with sort of the unbundling of services has been like a big change recently, but um, anything else that you feel like has like changed a lot that you'd want to kind of note as sort of just maybe like another trend where like it was definitely established one way and we're moving away from that to into new territory. Cause I think, you know, there's definitely been, a, and I've, like to you kind of, it's like kind of heralded this like big wave of digital education and doing it, I think like a certain way, but like they were, yeah, the monolith, you know, all or nothing kind of model. And I think now like the unbundling sort of is maybe uh, because of that. So um yeah, I'm just curious, anything that you're aware of is like other kind of big changes that you've observed? The unbundling would be one of them. Um, the other thing that I would point to would be the the smaller, shorter credentials and the stackable credentials. Mm-hmm. Um, that That's a pretty big one. That's something that's really been aided by internationalization. So a lot of other countries will have different definitions of credentials and so not having the standard credential framework and we go international, uh, it doesn't necessarily mean as much to have a quote unquote master's degree in another country if a master's degree isn't as big of a deal in that country. Uh, so it makes sense to kind of break those programs up um, and have more entry points and more exit points. So we're seeing a ton more activity with these smaller credentials. Uh, we're seeing a lot of the money in the market flow to the providers of those. Like I mentioned, uh, Erudicus and Emeritus just got $113 million and they exclusively work in these shorter credentials. Um, we saw, we see in the MOOC space, just tons of money flowing in these shorter mm-hmm. credentials. They see a lot of universities on their own 
creating step in and step out points and, and uh, badges that you accrue over the course of the program. Uh, that, that really helps if a student isn't able to complete the whole program and then isn't arbitrarily told that they're not qualified for the workforce because they didn't complete their gen ed requirements. So, you know, we see a lot of these better, better routes to uh, really attributing the learning that a student has achieved and, and micro-credentialing has been the way that that's happened. Yeah, very good point. I mean, there's just like so much to talk about because I, I was like, oh, I didn't even think of that. I'm just like, yeah, like short courses and stuff, which I've personally benefited from recently because I'm like, you know, kind of scratching the edge of, you know, learning something. And it's also, you know, um, in a lot of, you know, especially for like the Coursera's, like they've been around for a while and also just like are at least able to imprint on, you know, any kind of short course of just like, hey, this is taught by this faculty from this place. And then like, yeah, just those pathways of like, if you complete all of these short courses, then that leads you towards, you know, a certificate from, you know, a, uh, you know, an institution. So, um, yeah, that's definitely, mm-hmm. and I think that's like, yeah, it's just hit its like point of maturity, I guess maybe that's like the, the yeah. biggest thing. That's exactly what the, the boot camp providers were doing initially anyways, uh, and now it's just being applied to other segments uh, outside of full stack development. So, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, and I get, I'm glad you kind of brought up again because I wanted to like kind of sit with the um, international aspect because, yeah, I think that's like a huge thing that I and, and just uh, give just you kudos like you have been somebody who's like bringing that up a lot more like as I'm going through you know to hop on LinkedIn I'll see you sharing this information out and I was completely unaware of it but yeah it's such a huge like you know um, I think another kind of coming wave is that uh, opportunity because you know obviously it's that's the potential of like, yeah, you build like an online degree program or any of these things, like it could be accessible to anybody in the world. That's always been part of the like kind of pitch, I guess, you know, but, you know, I think it's in my experience or just, you know, kind of anecdotally, it's obviously so hard for a like US, US based organization with US based employees who may not speak another language or those sort of things to be like, yeah, we can like recruit and like work with people and, you know, any country in the world and those sort of things. So like, that is like fascinating just seeing, yeah, like these other companies kind of gain traction or, you know, just to sort of start to signal or it's like, hey, there is another way. Like we obviously are here. We understand how to like, you know, reach out and market to these uh, potential students and those sort of things for like a U.S. based program. Because it could be especially now, you know, with the pandemic where it's like, yeah, I mean, we've been able to like get a program going, but we obviously like absolutely need help to like broaden the reach in whatever way, you know, we need or just like, um, yeah, any of those, again, sort of like unbundled services or whatever, you know, just any of these things that could be, you know, that these uh, international um, companies are able to just like, like, yeah, you've got everything set. That's great. We will just help you to like market and do any sort of like, you know, uh, enrollment advising and any of those sort of things. So, um, yeah, people really forget how important it is to have people in a localized market that understand that market Um if you're going to market something to somewhere and you've never been there, it's, it's, you're going to have a lot harder time than someone that has been there and, and operated there their entire life. Uh, so, you know, everybody's really starting to realize that, that you really have to have localized expertise to, to scale globally. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> good advice. Um, so, you know, obviously we've just talked a lot about, you know, like what's happening, the work that you're doing to kind of help kind of pull all this together, synthesize it and uh, those sort of things. So just to you can kind of sit with like why this is all so important, like the transparency allowing, you know, uh, people to just kind of uh, to understand more of what's going on. 
Yeah, just like just to kind of hear it from you, like to you, what makes this work so important? I guess and you could say it maybe like on the institutional side and or like, you know, any of these companies and stuff like why, you know, why do you feel like this is so important to like put in all like the time and the energy to keep up with everything and put it together? Yeah. So from the institutional side, what I saw in the past 10 years was that by and large, most of the information that a university gets. So so let's step back. Let's say a university decides that they're going to do some online programming and they decide that they need help. So they, they put out an RFI or RFP and they start getting information from some providers. Well, the only information that they're going to have on those providers for the most part is what those providers put in those proposals. Uh, so it just in the interest of making better decisions, you have to have more information. If the only, if, if I'm going to buy a car and the only thing that I know about the car is what the salesman tells me, I'm less equipped to make a good decision than if I do independent research on my own at home and, and are able to look at things from a different perspective than what the salesman is giving me. So the first thing that's needed to do that is, is the data. So first you've got to create this data that um, just is an underlying framework for people to do their own research and ask their own questions and do their own investigation and just be aware of who's active in the market and who they could even possibly reach out to for help. Uh, So for the institution side, just being aware of uh, the fact that there is other information available that, that you can have before you uh, embark on a, a multi-year contract that has pretty significant revenue mm-hmm. dollars attached to it. I think is something that is in the best interest of the industry all the way around where, you know, everybody is more firm in their decision with the contract that they sign at the end because they, they more information has been brought to the table. So it gives the institutions a lot more power and a lot more uh, security. And it also, uh, tells them a lot more about who they're working with. So I think it's a huge benefit for the institutions. For the provider side, uh, I, I tend to think of it like uh, if you look at consumer goods, there's Nielsen data that you can look at every which way and, and slice and dice and every provider has it. And if you're going to go into a sales conversation as a consumer provider, as a consumer goods company, you have to have this syndicated data because it's the most comprehensive statement about what's going on in the market. And so uh, for them to be able to say, we're going to commit money to this space, but we don't really know exactly what's going on. We just, we just kind of have a gut feeling. Uh, I think we need to be kind of past that point as an industry. So um, it's being able to give them security in the decisions that they're making, uh, being able to tell them where the market is headed, uh, what what kind of things that they should be doing differently, where where their head should be for the future and and where opportunities lie. So it's a huge value add for them and, and tells them not only what the industry is doing, but kind of where they stand relative to the industry. Uh, and then it's also finally valuable for the students. Um, if we're asking students to uh, take on a significant amount of debt or we're asking them to spend a, a lot of money, I, I would want to be as transparently dealt with as possible if I was, you know, spending fifty, hundred thousand dollars So I, I would want to know as much information as possible. Mm-hmm. So I think it's kind of in everybody's best interest to 
to kind of lay the cards out on the table. And, and that's kind of what we try to do. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely very valuable. Um, cause yeah, I mean, it's just like, it would, you know, help build that trust between, you know, an institution and provider, which like, obviously is just like so hard to build and easy to break kind of thing. So like, if you are kind of, you know, maybe overblowing your successes or something, and then like, you know, the institution feels like they're not getting what they, pro- what were, you know, what they were promised. And, you know, that just can make everything we have harder. And then certainly yeah, at the end of the day, like students would suffer if there's like a bad partnership that was like, you know, forged under maybe false pretenses or something. And then like, they're not working together. Well, like, yeah, it just ends up being bad for everybody. So as long as, um, yeah, like, you know, cause that information is like circulating and all that, you would hope that it would really get to that point to be better for everybody, which, uh, yeah, I mean, I'd absolutely believe that, you know, uh, that would be the case because I think it also makes me think of just sort of like, yeah, that idea of being like, you know, yeah, an institution kind of shopping around, like they can check in on like just kind of more objective information and just see who is more kind of like trusted and verified or sort of vetted and uh, those sort of things. And, um, you know, knowing that kind of like there is a little bit of like a light on you as like a provider, as a company, you're going to be like, okay, well, you need to like really do our due diligence and really do the best work that we can and all that versus kind of just trying to like, I don't know, like, you know, just kind of skirt by or something. I don't know. Like it just made me think of all that kind of just like the trust, just like it just really would help with that, uh, you know, to build that trust and build um, better partnerships. So. Yeah. Yeah. And trust is one of the things that, you know, we're, we're really trying to build as we, adopt online education more and more. Uh, one of the kind of big underlying problems between students and the institutions is, you know, they, they're still working on fully trusting them to be able to deliver the same quality content via online. So if you're in a situation where you're trying to build trust, um, more information is always better. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I guess really quick, just to kind of give it, it's kind of uh you know, kind of due diligence here. So, you know, we are recording this uh, September 1st, 2020, you know, things are changing all the time, but um, you know, just as you've seen the global pandemic uh, persisting, have you seen, obviously, of course, like a lot of institutions pivoting into, you know, um, digital education out of necessity, but um, yeah, just anything noteworthy that you feel like is really tied to just sort of the disruptions of uh, the global pandemic that you'd want to talk through? Yeah. uh, So there's kind of, three main sectors that that we look at that are all really closely related and that's the OPX segment, the bootcamp segment and then um, the pathways, the international pathways providers and that at first might not make a lot of sense to people but then uh, you think about what's happened in light of COVID-19 that these international pathway providers have almost entirely flipped to become OPMs, um, at least in the short term. A lot of them are thinking about doing that in a more permanent fashion, uh, but some are are hoping to go back to a little bit more business as usual. Uh, But that segment where, you know, uh, Shorelight or Study Group or something has has a partnership with a certain university to recruit students for a certain program. Well, if all of that programming is online now, well, that that's basically become an OPM relationship. So those are the three kind of main segments that we target. And obviously the biggest hit has been in the pathways providers because that, that segment's been, it's really tied to how easily people can flow between countries and, and what's the, the visa situation, how easy is travel, uh, all those, all those kind of factors. And, and so that's obviously been one of the most 
difficult segments to be in right now, uh, which is why we saw the huge pivot towards them basically functioning as OPMs. Um, but with the OPMs, it's things have, have definitely ticked up a little bit and, and sped up a little bit. Uh, but we see a lot more coming from uh, what I call these platform-based providers. Uh, so like Coursera, they have their platform where everything comes. Uh, edX, they have their edX platform where everything comes through. So we're seeing these providers, uh, Emeritus even, that we just saw. Um, everything comes through this one centralized platform. We're seeing a ton of traction with those uh, and, and a lot of success. Um, so we're seeing good growth, even accelerated growth uh, after the pandemic in the OPM space. Uh, and then also the boot camp space has just been on a tear. So that's been one of the, uh, there's just partnerships happening, you know, multiple partnerships a week. So that, that, that segment's just been and in, in, in real, real hyper growth. Yeah. Um, which is interesting. Cause I guess it's like, you wouldn't, or I guess to me, I wouldn't have guessed that maybe any one segment more than another would have grown quicker. You know, I just would say like, yeah, digital education is going to, you know, maybe accelerate its growth, but out of, you know, again, kind of necessity, um, you know, a trend that was already happening, but yeah, it's interesting. I guess because people would want to, you know, maybe like the smaller things are more appealing because it might be quicker to kind of get off the ground or um, would kind of fill that gap of students who do like defer, they could still do something. So they're seeing maybe like higher demand there, but um, yeah. So there's a few reasons. So one is that, it's cheaper for the university. Um, so the university's mm-hmm. not having to uh, go through digitizing an online MBA, right? That that's that can be an expensive process going through spinning up the infrastructure with the professors and and digitizing the courses and and building out the admissions uh, systems for everything. That that can that can be costly. Um, but with the case of a boot camp, the infrastructure, the content even is already put together. They they can come to the university and say, hey, we've got this short, hyper outcomes focused program. Um, it's it's almost plug and play for you. There's there's not a lot of upfront spend for the university or ongoing spend, I don't believe so. Uh, so it's it's a lot cheaper for them to, to spin up these programs. And as we know, everything is, is really hypersensitive to outcomes. Uh, these are programs that were, this is an industry that evolved because it's hyper-focused on outcomes. Uh, so so it, it kind of makes sense when you think about that, that it's kind of the low-hanging fruit of, you know, what's the situation now? Situation is schools need to have a lot better outcomes and they need to do something without spending a lot of money. Well, the first solution for that is a boot camp. So. Hmm. Yeah, well, uh, with that context, it, it, uh, you know, it does make a lot of sense. Um so uh, as we kind of start to wrap up, I'm curious, anything that you are reading, watching, and or listening to that you'd want to recommend so we can kind of put it as some uh, some homework for folks in the uh, show notes? Uh, let's see. Oh, man. I've <laughs> that is tough. I've got a ton of uh, the blogs that I go to. Um, most of my life is just going through these filters and uh, RSS feeds and, and checking the blogs. And, and so, um, let me see. Uh, there was a new really good blog that I just came across related to pathways, uh, that was called across the bridge. Um, so that, that one's been, been really fruitful. Um, looking at stuff over in Australia, 
there's there's a really great uh, newsletter slash blog thing called Campus Morning Mail that that has a ton of good information. Um, those are those are a couple of the ones that I think people probably don't know a lot about uh, that they they put out some pretty good content pretty routinely. Um, outside of that, it's it's a lot of the basic sources with you know Ed Surge, TechCrunch. Um, just a lot of the basic sources that you usually see. So th- those two would be two that I would, I would mention. Great. Yeah. Um, cause yeah, I don't know. I guess like, cause yeah, I mean, I've been following Ed Surge for um, a while, but I'm, I'm still not sure. Like maybe if everybody knows, especially like institution based folks, um, since it is a little more relevant to yeah. uh, all of us in ed tech. So, um, Oh yeah. And then I would say in light of that, like, you know, it's kind of my, my sales pitch, but, that the platform that I operate is called IO by 32EDU. So it's just 32EDU.io. And so what it is, is that it's a subscription service. It's a platform that you log into and we go out and we comb through all of the sources um, and, and throw in a little blurb about why a particular article is interesting or, or why it's, it's relevant for you. So um, you know, that it's hard for me to answer what, what I'm reading because that's, that's kind of what my platform is, is that we go out and we, we read everything and we, we tell you, okay, this is, this is what you should be reading and, and why it's important. So, yeah. Gotcha. Well, that makes a lot of sense because it's like everything. That's what I've been reading lately. Um, so, um, well, then uh, we will end as we always do on an optimistic note. So kind of take this as you will. But uh, what are you looking forward to in your job, uh, your life and or the world? So any of those things, all of those things, but just anything that you are looking forward to. Obviously, it's, uh, you know, we can all use a little optimism. So, um, yeah, anything that you are looking forward to. Um, our daughter just started to crawl. And so she will be walking and talking soon. So that is something we're very much looking forward to. Yes. Oh, I have a four month old as of the recording of this. So, um, yeah, we have, <laughs> yeah, yeah, we are uh, close, uh, close by behind you there. So, um, yeah, and it's incredible just to sort of like sit here for a second, like just the development of human beings, like watching it in real time is yeah. just fascinating. So, <laughs> cool. Well, um, you know, thank you so much for hanging out and sharing all that you did. And absolutely, obviously, your, you know, uh, platform there, 32EDU is uh, such a great, you know, resource and everything. So definitely encourage folks to check that out and uh, just connect with you as well, obviously, to uh, keep up with what you're working on. But um, just really appreciate your time and all the, the great context and information that you shared for the episode here. Thank you so much, Dustin. Thanks for listening to this episode of the podcast. Make sure to rate, review and subscribe so you never miss an episode. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode of the Higher Ed Geek Podcast.